What was the most powerful machine human beings have ever built? We'll answer that question and explore coverage of the broadcast networks 50 years ago when human beings first left the atmosphere of Earth to visit the moon. Coming up on The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith. Hi, this is Bob Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a place to escape the fast lane, steer clear of crazy, and take the scenic route to sanity. Today we've got some very interesting content for you. But before we start anything, our trivia question. What's the most powerful machine mankind has ever built? What's the most powerful machine mankind has ever built? It doesn't exist anymore. In fact, not even any replicas exist. That's because it was 36 stories tall. The size of a 36-story building, almost 40 stories tall. It was the Saturn V rocket. Yeah, 363 feet tall, the size of a 36-story building, 1 million gallons of rocket fuel, which would be equivalent to a 2-kiloton nuclear explosion if it blew up. Uh, It was 7.5 million pounds total weight. And that was upended on its vertical side and shot off to the moon for the first time in December 1968. Okay, that's our trivia question. Now I've got a confession to make. I was a geeky kid, a tech geek of sorts, in the late 1960s. There was no internet, no cell phones, no YouTube or personal computers. Tech was limited to things like uh, photography, microscopes, chemistry sets ham radio, and audio recorders. Audio recording was my passion. I got into it when my mom and dad, who bought me my very first tape recorder, a J.C. JCPenney reel-to-reel for Christmas in 1964, plopped that under the Christmas tree. I had been inspired to ask for it by the replays of things I watched during the radio and TV coverage of President Kennedy's assassination. It was the first time I could remember seeing something and then a few minutes later being shown it again. The ability to play and then replay things fascinated me. And I, too, wanted to interview people and put on broadcasts and play and replay shows and music. So from my very first days with the microphone, I began capturing current events from radio and TV broadcasts as a teenage hobby. And today I have scores of hours of recordings of people like Walter Cronkite, David Brinkley, Howard K. Smith, and other famous newscasters breathlessly reporting on major events that occurred during my late teenage years in the late 1960s. Today we're going to focus on recordings I made during Christmas week 50 years ago, because Christmas week 50 years ago, 1968, was when human beings first left the gravitational pull of this planet to go visit something else truly going into outer space. Prior to this time, we had seen pictures of people hundreds of miles above the Earth, but not hundreds of thousands of miles, and that was the big gamble of Apollo 8. To orbit the Earth and then spin out and head all the way to the moon, orbit it, and then return safely. The astronauts 
basically we're told three to four months before the mission, here's where we're going. And prior to that, they always had trained for over a year before a space mission. So this was highly compressed, and there was a reason for this. They were in the Cold War space race against the Soviets, and Americans wanted to make sure they got to the moon first and got started getting to the moon first. The best time to do that because of celestial conditions was in December, and as it turned out, Christmas week was when it did occur. The astronauts not only broadcast live to the people of Earth from their spacecraft, they took the very first pictures of our planet from that vantage point, an image of the Earth with the surface of the moon in the foreground, a famous picture called Earth Rise, which later went on a U.S. postage stamp. Let's eavesdrop on history and listen to what you would have heard on your radio or television 50 years ago, Christmas week, 1968. We begin four days before Christmas on December 21st. 11, 10, 9. We have ignition sequence start. The engines are armed. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. We have commit. We have... Astronauts Borman, Lovell, and Anders were racing faster than any human beings had ever gone, 25,000 miles per hour. That was the speed as they were flying to escape gravity. Eventually, they slowed to just 2,000 miles per hour as gravity gave up the spacecraft. A day later, we watched the first live pictures from outer space, first pictures of anything outside of our atmosphere. Prior to that, we'd seen men in space hundreds of miles above the Earth, but these photos and these video images came from hundreds of thousands of miles from the Earth, outside the atmosphere, away from the gravitational pull of the planet. Again, the sound of Walter Cronkite. This is 20 watts of power, a four and a half pound camera. Hey, Apollo 8, uh, we don't have a picture Looks yet. like that. And we're 140,000 miles away. The secret is that the power is in the receiver right, instead we'll of in the transmitter. The receivers are three huge antennas, 85 feet across, at Goldstone in California. Here's the picture again inside the uh, spacecraft. Okay, let's try the other lens again then once again. Apparently they're having trouble with that long lens to get the view of the Earth from out there 140,000 miles away. Okay, uh, we're having no joy. Okay, stand by. No joy is test pilot and now space talk for... Still no joy or failure, negative, not getting what they want out of a mission or an you experiment. You don't have a lens cover on there, do you? <laughs> no, we checked that, as a matter of fact. 
<laughs> something we'd all done at one point or another, left the lens cap on. So the astronauts, yes, they tried it to see if they had done that. But no, that wasn't the problem. In that first broadcast, they couldn't get the telephoto lens for the TV camera to work showing Earth, so they showed pictures of themselves. And then Frank Borman began describing the Earth. This transmission is coming to you approximately halfway between the Moon and the Earth. We've been uh, 31 hours, about 20 minutes into the flight. We have about uh, less than 40 hours left to go to the Moon. See, Bill's got his toothbrush here. He's been brushing his teeth regularly to demonstrate how things float around zero G. I certainly wish we could uh, show you the Earth. It's a beautiful, beautiful view with uh, predominantly blue background and uh, just huge covers of uh, white clouds, uh, particularly one very strong vortex up near the Terminator. Very, very beautiful. We all feel fine. It was a very exciting ride on that big Saturn, but it worked perfectly. And we're looking forward now, of course, till the day after tomorrow when we'll be uh, just 60 miles away from the moon. To get a close-up of Jim Wobble, Bill, you can uh, let everybody see that he's, he's already uh, outdistant us in the, in the beard race. Jim has got quite a beard going already. Jim Lovell, the Navy captain, navigator on this flight, is a, just a few days younger than Frank Borman, the commander. They're both 40. Happy birthday, brother. <laughs> Goodbye from Apollo 8. Again, a reminder, we couldn't record any of the video transmissions at home in those days. There was no machinery to do that. Nobody had home video recordings. Just the sound, the audio, and that's what my teenage self was doing back then. The next morning was December 23rd, and we woke up to this report. Good morning. The Apollo 8 spacecraft and the astronauts, Air Force Colonel Frank Borman, Navy Captain James Lovell, and Air Force Major William Anders, is now 11,700 nautical miles from the moon and traveling at 2,944 miles per hour. The men and their machine are going through the preliminary checks prior to insertion into lunar orbit. During the next four to five hours, everything, absolutely everything, on board the spacecraft will be checked, and if anything isn't working properly, they will not attempt to do it. These few hours are among the most critical on the flight. That's why we are going to stay on the air all night and then follow the spacecraft as it nears and goes into orbit around the moon. As we said before, it is something man has dreamed of for centuries, and this morning, it looks like he's going to make it. In fact, the spacecraft's trajectory was so accurate, the final mid-course correction, which was a little burst from the control rockets, performed four hours ago, involved a change in velocity of only 1.4 miles per hour. At the time, the spacecraft was traveling at better than 2,000 miles an hour. As you heard him say, we will be on the air all night. Now, that's common today, but that was unheard of back in those days. A TV news team broadcasting all night long, very unusual. Possibly the last time that had happened previously was five years earlier, in 1963, during the coverage of John F. Kennedy's assassination. That recording was from December 23rd, and later that evening on the CBS Evening News, we got a summary of the day that talks about not only the Apollo 8 astronauts, but another event that was going on at that time, the USS Pueblo, as well as a report on the Vietnam War. 
Direct from our newsroom in New York, in color, this is the CBS Sunday News with Harry Reasoner. The United States has resorted to an interesting and novel device to free the Pueblo crewmen. As they were released at Panmun John, the chief U.S. negotiator there, General Gilbert Woodward, signed a document admitting the Pueblo was spying and intruding in North Korean waters. But at the same time, he verbally denied the contents, calling it the usual garbage. In Washington tonight, Secretary of State Rusk had this comment. The position of the United States government with regard to the Pueblo has been that the ship was not engaged in illegal activity, that there is no convincing evidence that the ship at any time intruded into the territorial waters claimed by North Korea, and that we could not apologize for actions which we did not believe took place. This leaves the North Koreans free to exploit the signed document and the United States free to claim it was signed under duress. The men will now proceed to the South Korean capital of Seoul for a preliminary medical examination, then back to San Diego, the Pueblo's home base, for further debriefing. The North Koreans say they are confiscating the Pueblo itself. The three astronauts in Apollo 8 are more than two-thirds of the way to the moon. Details on their day further away from the Earth than any men before them from CBS News correspondent Walter Cronkite. Aside from a bout with celestial flu, the flight of Apollo 8 has been trouble-free. The spacecraft now is more than halfway to the moon, and Commander Frank Borman is said to be recovering from a stomach virus that had him nauseous and vomiting. The doctors now are worried that perhaps Jim Lovell and Bill Anders might come down with the same thing. They say they'll have to see how healthy the crew is on Tuesday morning before they'll decide to allow them to take Apollo 8 into orbit around the moon. Earlier today, the first fantastically clear pictures were transmitted back from more than 140,000 miles in space. This is Walter Cronkite, CBS News Space Center, New York. South Vietnamese Vice President Nguyen Cao Ki and his wife are flying back to Saigon from the Paris Peace Talks. Before leaving Paris, Key appeared today on the CBS News broadcast Face the Nation and said his government must henceforth deal with the Viet Cong as a reality, although it doesn't recognize the Viet Cong formally. So here it was, Christmas Eve, and Apollo 8 was about to fly behind the far side of the moon. It gave a whole new dimension to the holiday. Flash forward to 50 years later. In 2019, China announced that it landed a spacecraft on the far side of the moon and they were able to communicate with it by bouncing their signal off a satellite. But in 1968, no satellites were anywhere near the moon. They were only orbiting the Earth. And when Apollo 8 flew behind the far side of the moon, there was no communication for 30 minutes. To this day, it's still the longest communications blackout in manned space history. And so far, the loneliest time in the history of spaceflight. 30 minutes when the astronauts couldn't speak with anyone on Earth, and 30 minutes when Earth didn't know what was happening to the crew. Were they safe? Were they still there? Would their command module successfully fire a big engine to slow that craft so it could orbit the moon? Here on Earth, watching TV and listening to radio, we shared in that tension on Earth when, after 30 minutes of silence, NASA began calling out to the astronauts. Apollo 8, Houston. Apollo 
December 24th, 1968, Christmas Eve, we watched the moon as the astronauts described what we were seeing. The moon is a uh, different thing to each one of us. I think that each one of uh, each one uh, carries his own impressions of what, of what he's seen today. I know my own impression is that it's a, a vast, lonely, forbidding type existence or expanse of nothing. It looks rather like clouds and clouds of pumice stone. And it certainly would not appear to be a very inviting place to, to live or work. Jim, what have you uh, thought most about? Well, Frank, my thoughts were very similar. The vast loneliness up here on the moon is uh, awe-inspiring. And it makes you realize just what you have back there on Earth. The Earth from here is a grand oasis of the big fastness of space. Bill, what do you think? I think the thing that impressed me the most were the lunar sunrises and sunsets. These in particular bring out the uh, stark nature of the terrain, and uh, the long shadows really bring out the relief uh, that is here and, and hard to see in this very bright uh, surface that we're going over right now. The horizon here is very, very stark. The sky is pitch black and the earth, or the moon rather, excuse me, is quite light. And the contrast between the sky and the moon is a vivid, dark line. December 24th, 1968, we watched the moon as the astronauts described what we were seeing. And they surprised us by reading from Genesis ancient words that are in the holy books of three of the world's great religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, 
and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. <laughs> there you are, the crew of the uh, Apollo 8 signing off after their last transmission of pictures from the moon. Next, a newscast from Christmas morning 50 years ago, Christmas Radio News. This is Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. Astronauts Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders are heading for home at this hour after making history by orbiting the moon 10 times in their Apollo 8 space capsule. The rocket firing that kicked them out of their lunar orbit and back toward Earth took place early this morning and at last report, the Apollo 8 capsule was less than 200,000 miles from Earth. If all goes well, splashdown will take place Friday morning in the Pacific. Following all the latest developments with keen interest are the astronauts' families. As we hear in this report from CBS News correspondent Nelson Benton at the Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston. I'm so happy my prayers have been answered. That was the way Mrs. James Lovell described the series of near-perfect events that is sending her husband and astronauts Frank Borman and William Anders earthward from their trip around the moon. She and the other astronauts' wives are attending Christmas Day services in small towns near the Manned Space Center. They miss Christmas Eve church services, staying at home to anxiously monitor the progress of Apollo 8. Apollo 8 is now 205,000 miles from the Earth. Its speed will start to pick up as it escapes the moon's gravitational pull spacecraft will encounter the Earth's atmosphere on Friday. Nelson Benton, CBS News, Houston. Two days later on December 27th, Apollo 8 splashed down in the Pacific. Helicopter number 66 with astronauts Borman, Lovell, and Anders. Here comes astronaut Borman and Lovell and Anders standing on the steps and a great cheer goes up from the sailors out here on the flight deck. All of them looking in very good condition. Lovell uh, having a very noticeable beard. Frank Borman looks as if he is shaved. All three salute. Captain Fifield is at the microphone. Colonel Borman, would you care to say a few words to the crew? We're just very happy to be here, and we appreciate all your efforts, and I know you had to stay out here over Christmas, and that made it tough, I'm, but we, we can't tell you much how, as, how much we really appreciate you being here and how proud it is for us to participate in this event, because thousands of people made this possible, and I guess we're all just part of the group. Thank you very much. At Mission Control in Houston, a sudden bursting out of stars and stripes and big, strong cigars, perhaps reflecting what Frank Borman meant when he radioed, the moon isn't made of green cheese, it's made of American cheese. This afternoon, NASA announced that the next step will test the long overdue lunar landing module in Earth orbit is to be launched February 28th. Meanwhile, world reaction continues to pour in over the triumphant flight of Apollo 8 from 10 Soviet astronauts praising the precision and courage of the flight. 
from Pope Paul, expressing the hope that all the world might benefit from Apollo 8, and of course from three wives and 11 children, the families of Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders. Then a week later, on January 9th, Americans rolled out the red carpet for the Apollo 8 astronauts. Good evening, this is Douglas Edwards, CBS News. It was Apollo 8 day in our nation's capital, a day of warm official tribute to the first three men to circle the moon, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. CBS News White House correspondent Robert Pierpoint reports. The three astronauts and their families arrived at the White House 15 minutes earlier than the scheduled formal ceremony today so everyone could get acquainted with the Johnsons. It was this kind of easy informality that set the tone for the day. The president articulated the pride of the nation when he addressed the three astronauts before giving them each a NASA Distinguished Service Medal. You have been where no human being has ever ventured. You have seen firsthand what no human eye ever saw before you. Your flight was an unparalleled achievement of technology. Later on Capitol Hill, each of the astronauts spoke briefly to a joint meeting of Congress, including the Cabinet and the Supreme Court. At one point, looking at the justices in the front row, Colonel Borman remembered their decision against praying and Bible reading in the public schools, but not quite soon enough. I think that one of the things that uh, was truly historic that was that we were able to get good Roman Catholic Bill Anders to read the first four verses of the King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> but now that I see the gentleman here in the front row, I'm not sure we should have read the Bible at all. <laughs> Colonel Borman also paid warm tribute to all in America and throughout history that had helped make their flight to the moon possible. If Apollo 8 was a triumph, he declared modestly, it was a triumph for all mankind. Robert Pierpoint, CBS News, Washington. Later in the day, the astronauts met the press and gave encouraging reports for actually landing men on the moon this summer aboard Apollo 8, 11 rather. CBS News gave first word that the lunar landing crew for Apollo 11 had been named astronauts Neil Armstrong, Edwin Aldrin, and Michael Collins. It was also revealed that astronaut Borman was being promoted and would make no more space flights. Borman strongly defended the space program when asked by one reporter if the space budget wouldn't be better spent for solving problems here on Earth. There's no question in anyone's mind that we have many serious problems here on, on the, the Earth and in this country. I'm not sure you'll solve them all by neglecting the quest for knowledge that we're undertaking. And uh, certainly within NASA, in uh, my own station at NASA, I'm not the one that makes the decisions as to how many funds or how much money will be spent where. All I'm uh, saying is that the next administration, I hope that the next administration, will carefully consider not only the technical and the scientific value of this program, but also the value, the almost nebulous value that it has as to the spirit of this country. Finally, 50 years ago on January 10th, 1969, here's how we treated these explorers, the first men to leave Earth's atmosphere to orbit another celestial body as heroes. Good evening. New York City today gave the Apollo 8 astronauts a traditional ticker tape parade up Broadway. The famous thoroughfare was renamed Apollo Way as the three space heroes began a series of whirlwind appearances in the nation's largest city. Morton Dean reports. Thousands of tiny American flags flapped in the chill wind. 
as the men from Apollo 8 received a roaring welcome to New York City, a thank you for what they had done. Astronauts Anders, Borman, and Lovell, who charged through space at thousands of miles an hour in their rugged yet sophisticated space vehicle, today inched along the people-lined streets of the city in a classic old touring car, top-down. The ride was shared with Governor Nelson Rockefeller and Mayor John Lindsay. These three wonderful men and their families and this great organization have given the world a lift, a new sense of hope and faith at a moment when people, believe me, really needed it. And we just thank them and welcome them. The city's highest honor, medals of gold, were presented to the three men. Yesterday in Washington, they were awarded with distinguished service medals by President Johnson during a day of official function. The spokesman for the crew is Colonel Frank Borman, Apollo 8's commander. May I just say three words? I know I speak for Jim and Bill and myself. We all love New York and we all love all of you. Thank you so much. Next stop, the United Nations, where the spacemen were greeted by UN Secretary General Funk. I'm very happy to introduce these three pathfinders in space. The first true universalists, if I may say so. These three men actually did jump over the moon. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. We saw the Earth the size of a quarter. And we recognized then and we reported then that re there really is one world. We're all brothers. And yesterday, before the U.S. Congress, I acknowledged that Apollo 8, if it was a triumph at all, it was a triumph of all mankind. And I guess from three ordinary Americans, we have the wish that your mission will be successful because truly, the United Nations is the hope of the world. Thank you very much. The astronauts will be honored at a glittering state dinner in New York tonight. Then tomorrow, these supermen fly to Miami for this weekend's Super Bowl, the professional football championship game. Morton Dean, CBS News, New York. Well, there you have it. A sampling of news coverage of the historic flight of Apollo 8, as recorded a half century ago from radio and TV broadcasts by yours truly. This is Bob Smith, and I hope you've enjoyed your time with me in my personal time capsule and that you'll join me next time for more fun here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.